listeners, welcome to another edition of Watch Skip Singular. I am Cupcake, and this is a capsule review movie review spin-off of our weekly Watch Skip Plus podcast. Today I have a guest, a special guest, from our brother podcast tree program, Not a Bomb. One of our ho- one of their hosts, Troy. Troy, how are you doing today? I'm great. I'm ex- just I'm excited to see you and talk to you. So that always puts me in a great mood. Excellent. Likewise. Um, or as they uh, say in uh, Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion, uh, me too, but with you. <laughs> God, I, miss, I love that film. I love that movie too. Okay. So we're here to talk about, uh, and, and this is kind of interesting too, because uh, the horror movie is called Smile. Mm-hmm. And I, I think you you and I and our, you know our friends, Rick and... Um, and Brad, we, we sort of saw the trailers for this and just kind of thought, you know, uh, whatever, it's it's going to get four days in the theater and, and whatever. But surprise, surprise, its second weekend registered like a like a minus 22 percent, which is uh, almost unheard of for a horror film because we, we hear that term a lot like front loaded, meaning, you know, horror fans are just going to come out for that one weekend and then that's it. And sure enough, I think this is the third weekend. I think it's number two, potentially. Um, so I think that's been a huge surprise. And uh, obviously, we're going to we're gonna get into the meat of that. Smile is an example of a film that would never show up on our program because it's uh, it had a budget of $17 million and it's already crossed $100 million. Yeah. And from a review standpoint, it's gotten pretty positive reviews. So... Our podcast tries to look at movies that either bombed financially at the box office or the critics just weren't very nice to. And and we try to find movies that had a combination of both. And every once in a while, we'll find one that, you know, it, it maybe did okay financially, but just, you know, shows up as a 0% on Rotten Tomatoes or something of that nature. And and then, of course, we have um, a, a uh, what I'll call a Don Lee wild card. So anytime Don Lee shows up in the film, doesn't matter how performs we're probably going to talk about it so uh but yeah i mean the the podcast just kind of concentrates on films that you know at at the end of the day everybody's got an opinion on it and some register um with the audience at the time it's released sometimes it takes 10 20 years other times um it may never register but for some reason we find something interesting about it and we want to talk about it so yeah the the podcast is is called not a bomb and the idea is to just search out the ones that, you know, bomb financially or critically and, and see if they deserve a second chance. And really quickly, October, you guys are doing a Spooktober or Scary Movie Month. I yes. guested on Dominion, the prequel for Exorcist. That was uh, last week's episode. The episode before that that opened the month was Amityville 3D. Both Justin mm-hmm. and I were on there as well. Um, do you care to tease any upcoming episodes? Oh, absolutely. We, we, uh, so we did Amityville 3D and, and the whole theme this month was to pick scary movies, uh, that had a sequel that bombed. And I, I know you know this. That was really hard to find yeah. because most sequels in most of these franchises, um, do very well. But yeah, we did Amityville 3D. Um, you just came on and we talked about Dominion, the prequel to the Exorcist, but we also spent some time on Exorcist, the beginning. Yeah. Uh, that was, that was such a fun episode. It was great. Episode. Um, we're going to be recording one this week for an American werewolf in Paris, the sequel Ooh. to an American werewolf in London. 
And uh, we're going to close it out with, I think, the only movie in this franchise that bombed, which was uh, Texas Chainsaw, the third one, Leatherface. Uh, ah. or Leatherface Texas Chainsaw Got Massacre it. Part 3. Excellent. Very good choices. I'm looking forward and, to it. And you're part of a secret special project um, that uh, we're, we're going to talk about a film. We, we had just had a ton of requests on it. Because it, the timing of it, it was coming out. And when they released the trailer, it was supposed to hit theatrically. And it took a couple of days and said, nope, it's going direct to streaming. So everybody just kind of assumed it was that bad and and uh, wasn't going to perform financially. And and so we had a lot of requests from listeners saying, hey, you're going to review this one. Uh, and we are. And I know you're participating on it. But that that's our, I guess, treat for yeah. the Halloween season. So we're there keeping you go. that around. That's perfect. Works out perfectly. Yes. And you do do, like you said, the Don Lee, um, some of the bonus episodes recently. You did Chuck Steele, Night yes. of the Trampires, and you interviewed the director and the creator. Um, and they uh, he runs more uh, Im- Immortal Studios or is it Mortal Studios? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mike Mort. So that, that was really great. OK, so segueing to Smile. As we talked about, it's it's been doing really well. Just to go through some of it, uh, it it's produced by Marty Bowen and Wick Godfrey. So there are normally there are producers that I see their names and I'm like, okay, I'm jumping on right. Wick Godfrey, Marty Bowen, they're they're producing partners. They're behind TV shows like Revenge, Mr. Mercedes, Love Victor, and then they've produced a lot of genre stuff iRobot, AVP, the Twilight franchise, Maze Runner franchise, the Power Rangers reboot, um, as well as some other dramas. The Hate You Give was one that comes to mind as well. Our production designer is Lester Cohen, mainly television, but some really good television shows. Uh, White Collar, Lights Out, which was a short-lived season one FX show, which was really good. The Looming Tower, The Undoing, and then the recent Netflix Things Heard and Seen starring uh, Amanda Seyfried. Our DP is Charlie Saroff, mainly done um, music videos and shorts, a couple TV movies. I think he's probably most known for a a little scene thriller called Relic, not The Relic with uh, directed by Peter Himes, but Relic starring Emily Mortimer, directed by Natalie Erica James. It's actually a pretty good, a good thriller. Um, our director is Parker Finn. He's only done two previous shorts, one of which uh, included the actress that's in this movie, um, Caitlin. I think her name is Caitlin Stacy. Yes. Um, but this is his first theatrical. Our cast are the, the most well-known names in this are probably uh, Kyle Gallner. He's done a lot of uh, uh, genre pro- uh, projects. He was in a television show called The Outsiders. Veronica Mars, he's done the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. Cal Penn, who we know from uh, Harold and Kumar, also came out recently, which was kind of cool. Jesse T. Usher, he is on The Boys. He plays A-Train, Reggie Franklin. And then, of course, our star is, uh, and I believe it's pronounced Saucy, not Saucy, but Saucy Bacon. (laughs) I would have slaughtered that name. (laughs) Saucy Bacon sounds pretty awesome, actually. And that is Kevin Bacon's daughter. So she stars in this. And then one last shout out is the special effects and makeup are done by a company called Algamated Dynamics Incorporated, ADI. And that was founded by Tom Woodruff and Alec Gillis. They came up through Stan Winston Studios um, and they are creature designers and effects people. They've done Godzilla vs. Kong, Prey, Death Becomes Her, Starship Troopers. And then, of course, all the legendary Stan Winston Studios films. 
All right. So I'll turn it over to you, Troy. What are your thoughts on Smile? Feel free to, I mean, I'm just going to make a warning to people. I don't do the spoiler split thing. Let's just talk about it. Okay. What do you think? Uh, <laughs> I, I saw it close to when it was released because it's been out a couple of weeks now. So I saw the trailer, I think, I think it was at the beginning of Top Gun Maverick. And I, like you said, it was, it was kind of like, oh, what's this? It, it almost looked like a ring or it follows knockoff. I mean, it's part, it's part of that subgenre of, you know, something happens or an event happens to an individual. And then all of a sudden some evil entity, whatever is attached to that individual, right. And they have to figure it out. Um, or something's going to happen within a certain time frame. So there, there's really nothing original about this film, but I'll, <laughs> I'll say this of all the, the recent films that I, I think I've seen from the horror genre, this one really layers on the jump scares. I mean, you, you could make the argument it should just be called jump scare the movie. <laughs> I, and, and I would be fine with that because I think jump scares get a bad rap sometimes. Um, like a yeah, lot of do. people are going, Hey, we want more psychological horror, creepy added, you know, atmosphere, et cetera. But you know, you really got to appreciate a good jump scare. And this thing has several, and I, and I got to say, they all got me. I mean, I, I was bouncing out of my seat left and right. I'm, I'm a jittery person during horror films anyways, but um, yeah, this, this one was a, it was a lot of fun to go to, but there were elements of it. And I think why I appreciated it a little bit more than just the average film is I've been on a um, Junji Ito uh, kick lately. Do, do you know? Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been I've been reading some of his his graphic novels and and for those who don't know he's a he's a Japanese horror artist storyteller primarily you know through graphic novels comics they've they've taken a couple of his and turned them into films like the Tomei series which I think has nine movies yeah and um, I I think the best film of of his work is Uzumaki which is just creepy but it, it's fantastic. But, but what I liked about um, Ito is he will, he will take a premise and it just gets weirder and weirder. And usually in the last few pages, when you see the monster or you see the body horror, whatever it is that occurs, just on paper, it, it, it can be pretty disturbing. But he always has this really fascinating story that he's telling and interweaving with these characters. And while some of it may be, hey, been there, done that he always manages even within his stories to kind of add this really super weird element to it. Um, and there's layers, right? And and I think smile has that smile reminds me of a Junji Ito light film um, <laughs> yeah. where it, it's not as bonkers as some of his work out there, but it really builds up into something. And you get to that last 15, 20 minutes or so um, when she goes to her house and sort of confronts her past but also, um, you know, the, the entity that's following her, the imagery in there just screams Junji Ito. Um, and, and I, I really appreciated that. So I liked it. I mean, it's, it's not like, Oh, this is a top 10 film of the year or something, but I, you know, I'll say this, it, it's, it's just a fun horror film. I think it's got some interesting layers to it, which add probably rewatchability. 
the jump scares work. They're good. And I really like the performances. I mean, Miss Bacon's, I think, quite fantastic in it. I mean, she she's in every scene of the film and she carries the thing. Without her, I don't think the movie works. I mean, she's she's she really grounds it and she really sells that trauma and sort of the slightly going insane, losing grip on reality, trying to figure it out. And I, I just really appreciated that aspect. Yeah, she has a she has almost like a like a Hillary Swank type quality to her. Um, There may, there may even be another actress that, that she reminds me of, but you're right. I mean, I've never seen Ms. Bacon in, in anything. Didn't even realize it was Kevin Bacon's daughter, but you're correct. Oh, me neither. She absolutely holds this film. And I love that you mentioned that, uh, first of all, the jump scares, right? With horror movies coming out, I think that, Part of the fun of going to the theater is being with an audience and having people scream and having people jump out of their seats and the reactions and that makes it fun, but it really needs to be done in a, in a good way. You know, I'm a little leery of, uh, what is it? Pray for the devil. I think that's coming out because that, that kind of the exor- the lady exorcist or as I call it, Ms. Exorcist, <laughs> like Ms. 45. But you know, when you do the jump scares right, it's good. I mean, me and there was a woman in our row. I mean, we were screaming out loud, right? I think oh, you and yeah. I, you and I texted. I was like, I sharded myself. Like there was at least two of them where they were, man, I went crazy, right? And it reminds me of uh, when the woman was hit by the bus in in Final Destination. It just has that that visceral like, oh, it scares you, and then we're all sort of like giggling at our reactions, but it's still scary. But then you There's- also. Oh, God. There's one they show in the trailer with the she's sitting in the car oh, and, yeah. and, you know, the head. Yeah. Uh, what I liked about it was I and Tabitha, my wife, had not seen any of the trailers and neither had my son who's seen it. And that got both of them because, oh, yeah. you know, they hadn't seen and it's it's really good. And again, it reminds me something exactly out of a Ito comic. But I I. I, as soon as it's happening, I'm like, oh, this is that jump scare, I think, from the trailer. <laughs> but you're so into Bacon's performance that when it occurs, even though I know it's going to happen, I, I did. I, I still sharded myself and kind of jumped because it's so creepy and effective. But again, it's um, how do you say it? It's like uh, it, it's proof that there is more to the film than the jump scares because you're kind of bought into her performance and what she's going through in the exchange she just had with somebody before that jump scare occurs really ups the ante. And then as soon as it happens, um, you're like, wow, you just can't trust anything. So, yeah. And you, you know, you mentioned psychological horror and I, I mean, I guess, you know, I keep, we keep using the phrase two on the nose or whatever. And, and I guess this, this movie could have, that criticism because you know it's about like a psychiatrist and somebody you know it starts off with somebody committing suicide in front of her and then that's the trauma and then she has to figure out like the sort of like ghostly secret of it but again as you mentioned it is a uh, a descent of the main character into am i crazy have i caught this whatever this is and what is it and can i save myself and uh, it, it is very compelling and good and atmospheric. Um, you mentioned It Follows and The Ring. I did definitely get a J-horror kind of aspect to this. Did that, while you were watching it, did did those 
similarities ruin the movie, become a barrier for you? Were you cognizant of those while you were watching it? I don't think so. I mean, at the end of the day, I know you and I have talked about this quite a bit, especially when it comes to action films. There, yeah. There's there's not a lot of, of originality out there anymore. I mean, everything is, uh, it's a copy, it's a remake, it's a reboot, or it's inspired by. And, and really, it's about, can you tell a story? So it, it doesn't matter if that story has been told a thousand times over. When you sit down to tell the story, can you make it effective? Do you have a character you care about? Do, and, and especially within horror films, do you, do you establish a universe? And even though that universe may not make logically uh, sense to, you know, you outside of sitting in the dark watching the film, within the context of the story and with the context of the universe, do the rules apply? And is there, and I, I hope I'm articulating this correctly, does does the logic that the movie sets up, does it carry through to the end? That's always super important to me. It is. So, you don't want, I think you and I complain a lot about movies that set the rule book and then they start giving you all these exceptions, right? Yeah. And then they start breaking their own rules. But this one, you're right. I think this one sticks pretty much to its rules. I think that, uh, I mean, I just felt like it was somebody found a good way to remake The Ring, the whole concept behind The Ring, but in a more modern sensibility and then obviously using trauma, which seems to be a very uh, big trend, right? I think we've seen it through David Gordon Green's Halloween trilogy, trauma, um, how that affects the psyche, how that affects somebody. Here it's more more like a viral disease, but in some ways she's going through it as well, right? Um, yeah, and and I I think there is an element to the story with her um, relationship with her family that contextually adds something a little bit different. So I, I think it all comes down to do you do you care about the character? And when I say care, I'm not I'm not saying like. <laughs> it's right, exactly. You, you find that character interesting, and do you care about what's going to happen to him? You may not like that character, but you still kind of care where that character's going. And I, I think you find that in this film, but I don't mind that it borrows a template that's been used over and over and over again. And I, I like, I think you called it, it's J-horror through and through, which I'm a big fan of. And it has that pacing and everything of J-horror. I, I think it executes very well, but it does a little bit more in terms of storytelling to make it interesting. And then it just, I mean, at the end of the day, it just has really good jump scares. I mean, yeah. Yeah, they really build up this. I was afraid that the film maybe was going to be sloggy and um, because you're right, it follows, it follows, it follows. It reminded me a lot of that. It reminded me a lot of like the J-horror stuff. Like you said, the the concept gets bonkers and bonkers and bonkers when she starts diving into stuff. Um, But yeah, it's got really, really good jump scares. It's engaging. It really kind of has you thinking. And And the imagery is good. There's... I, I. to this, it's been two weeks and I'm closing my bathroom door yes. because there's a theme in there <laughs> exactly. where she's looking through the night and she thinks she sees something that's smiling back at her. And I'm like, oh, hell no. You know, oh, um, and so now at night I'm, I'm, I'm making sure the bathroom door's closed so that I see the white door and not, you know, some darkness behind it. So to me, they tapped into, you know, good, good horror will tap into I think the things that you experience out of just your common day 
and add an edge to it so that when you go home and you're like, oh, wow, I wasn't afraid of this dark part of my house. But now because I saw this film, uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I mean, basement corners now scare me because of the Blair Witch Project. So, yes, me too. Me, me too. A horror <laughs> movie is going to take that very simplistic. This is just in your house or you experience this day to day. And uh, I'm going to put a question mark there and go, hey, there, there might be something evil there. And you're like, oh, OK, well, yeah, I'm done with that. Yeah. And and bathroom mirrors. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, exactly. I don't know, you know, American Werewolf in London, bathroom mirror, like all of it. Candyman, bathroom mirror, like help me. Yeah. Um, what was the uh, the other thing I was going to say was. I feel like and especially because she she, you know, in the final showdown with whatever this is. We won't spoil it. In a way, the the allegory is confronting your fears, confronting your inner demons. My feeling on this was that this was going to be this generation's nightmare on Elm Street, right? Possibly. Yeah. Because, you know, I don't think, I mean, Elm Street, I think, was a success because of Wes Craven, but then it grew that cult following on VHS and cable. I can definitely see that happening here, but obviously it's already just out of the gate a, a success anyway. Do you feel the same way? Do you think that maybe this can lend itself? Well, not only being this generation's Elm Street, but do you think it can lend itself to being a franchise? Uh, yes. I, I, de- well, I mean, they made nine Tomei films. Of right. <laughs> so if, if you, if you say, yeah, this falls within that J horror, um, they could make nine or 10 of these. Um, and I'm sure they will given as much money as it turned around and made for the studio, you know, a sequel's coming. Of course. I, I, and I'll be honest, I, I would be curious what they do with it. I, I think it's interesting because you bring up David Gordon Green's, um, Halloween trilogy and we'll, we'll save that conversation for another oh, day because I know oh, you and we'll I save have some it. thoughts. Oh, yeah. we will save it. <laughs> and we need some people here with us to talk about it too. Um, oh, definitely. But, you know, here's the thing, horror movies, why I, why I like horror movies as a genre probably more than any genre is it does give you a chance to question some of the big things that are going on from a societal standpoint through telling sort of a supernatural tale. And there is a slate of horror films, like you said, that are dealing with trauma, are dealing with this concept of can this stuff pass from person to person? Is is there an infection going on? Yep. And I feel like thematically, as a, as a country, we're going through that was with a lot of stuff. Right. And people are just trying to make sense of why is the real world so crazy and why are people not acting as good people anymore? And is there a root cause to that? And I'm not saying that the whole world like they're just full of bad people anymore, but it's, it's interesting that you've got some artists who are looking at a group of people in society and saying, I don't get you. I don't understand and is what you're going through, are you being affected by something outside of yourself or are you just evil at your core or are people evil at their core? And they're just saying, OK, I'm I'm just taking the guardrails off. It's too tough to, to keep that down and just let it go. Those are interesting questions. And I think you're seeing that in a lot of the horror movies that have come out over the last few years. And to me, what makes Smile interesting is I think it'll actually be a very interesting discussion about this film in five years. So the great thing about horror films is you can you can gauge it now and kind of go, was it effective? Um, Was it scary? Does it is it saying something else? 
Uh, but you can have that conversation again in five years and it'll be a totally different conversation. And that, that's why I love this genre. So yeah. um, I, I, I think what Smile has that some of the other horror films out that don't have is it has those questions. It asks them and it, and it presents a very nihilistic view at the end of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to me, that's interesting because that is an artist making a commentary on society, which I think is pretty interesting. I think you hit it right on the head. Horror films, movies in general, period, often act like mirrors to society, like what's going on. And I think that with horror films, I mean, you can have your serial killers, you can have your ghosts, you can have your supernatural. Um, But I think at least now you're correct. Like what we are dealing with collectively is, you know, this sort of am I good? Um, because I have these feelings and I want to do these things, what's happening to me, or I know this person's good, but why did they say or do X? Um, you know, and like, you're right. What's, what's happening to our world that somebody can put something, you know, put something up on say YouTube and then suddenly everybody believes it. And suddenly now is going out and spreading that news like a virus, you know? So, uh, yeah, I think that this movie definitely taps into it pretty wonderfully. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think just the basic premise of this person smiling, but doing these horrendous things, that premise in and of itself is saying something about the world today. And I I find that fascinating. Yeah, very fascinating. And uh, I will say this, though. I thought a little bit about what this film is saying about suicide. And I didn't I didn't particularly like if you follow it through to its to its logical end, if you think about what it's saying about suicide, it may be encouraging people to commit suicide by themselves Again, I don't want to, I don't want to ruin the film. Okay. But that was my logical endpoint thinking about it. And I'm like, I don't know that you want a film saying that. And I think that it dances away from that by giving us that more supernatural, I'm going to confront my demon or this is what I have to do to confront it. But again, like I said, like if, if you think about what it's saying, <laughs> um, you know, I, I feel like it might encourage, you know, standalone suicide events. <laughs> wow. Okay. Where nobody is observing. This could turn into an hour long conversation because I didn't pick up on that, but I'm super interested in it um, without spoiling it. I guess I have a yeah. question for you then. Does that ring true considering uh, there's a plot twist towards the end where she discovers somebody had kind of beat this entity to some form and there's a solution to it. What did you think about that solution? So that, so if you think about the solution and we won't spoil it, spoil it, dear listeners, I know I said, I was like, just go whole hog. But so if you think about the solution and what you need to do to break the curse, okay. It, It encourages standalone suicide, meaning no one is observing it. You're not doing the solution. You're just, Ending the chain yourself. Yeah. And so, I did not like that. <laughs> now, I did now that not you say that, like I see that. that. Okay. Implication. But again, I think I think that's that very nihilistic, horrific view. Oh, yeah. 
You're, um, you're damned anyway. You're damned anyway. It's going to be miserable is. for you. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, and I, don't, I don't know how you feel about this. And I'll say this. You could go, no, you're, you're crazy, Troy. I, I don't think it's on the Never. level of hereditary, mm. but I think it's tapping into that aspect of hereditary where it's your choices just really suck. And yes. then at the end of the day, you're going to find yourself um, in some horrific uh, incident and, and there's no escaping it. So I, I, again, I find that kind of interesting. Whereas even with nightmare on Elm street, the ending of the original, you know, they're, they could be constantly trapped into this nightmare, et cetera. And you think about when it, when it comes out again, I think it is saying something socially. And I think this movie's specifically saying that, but it's much more darker Oh yeah. Where there, there is no like, oh, I'm going to build a home alone type scenario in my house to beat Freddy Krueger in a matter of like five minutes, which again is a great example. Like logically doesn't make sense in the real world, but I bought it in the context yes. of that film. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I find that super interesting. Um, and now that you say it, I'm like, Ooh, that makes, that makes that ending even darker. Way darker. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. But like I said, I feel like, I feel like the screenwriter, so uh, Parker Finn wrote and directed this himself, the director. And Off of a short, right? He, he did it as a short film. and So there was a short originally, it was called um, Laura Doesn't Sleep Well, and that stars Caitlin Stacy. And then I think he just expanded that into, into Smile. I have not seen it. Apparently, you have to pay to see the short. It's an 11-minute short. But... Um, but I think he was probably cognizant of that because just as I started arriving at that implication, the solution appears. And then it's like, am I going to do this? Am I not? Am I going to face it? What am I going to do? Right. But uh, yeah, that that was I, maybe I just think too much. I don't know. No, that's but, interesting because it, it can go either way. Right. It's this whole you have this deep, dark secret. I mean, you, you can look at it on the face of it and say the last 15 minutes are her is really her attempting to face her deepest, darkest secret. Yep. And she loses. She, she loses, which is crazy yeah. to me. Like that's, I know you don't see it's, that, uh, in films. And um, again, another reason why I think it should it should be applauded. There was no easy answer at the end. It was great. It's good. Yeah. Uh, no, that's man. I like talking Des, about despite movies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, despite the demon kind of looking at Marilyn Manson. Randy was like, "Oh, it's Marilyn Manson." I'm like, <laughs> oh, it, when it when when it does what it does with its mouth. Oh again, my god. That is that that's exactly, your Genji Ito? Yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> I'm like, oh, dude, I think I've seen that in one of Ito's uh, comic books before, um, or his graphic novels, because that was horrifying. But it's it's that element that really brought me to, um, you know, that artist and going, wow. That, that I have to assume that you know, uh, is it Parker Finn? Yep, has to be a, a fan of Ito. Like he, it, not the ring and stuff like that, but I I have to imagine he's got on his shelf a library of Edo, you know comics or something up there and, and he's read them i bet there i was trying to google some stuff but there wasn't there wasn't a lot of information about him but yeah any any other further thoughts i thought oh actually i think i wanted to mention i also enjoyed not only the slow build the atmosphere but i also liked the cinematography it was weird like he set up 
he and the DP set up shops, shots where like you're looking at her house, right? But the lines don't go together. It was really disconcerting. Like, like there's a, like the roof goes one angle, but then there's something else that goes at a completely different angle where it looks like visually it shouldn't be there. And then there were a lot of shots like this. If you go back and look at it, like there's like a circular window, but then next to it, there's like squares and other shapes that throw off that symmetry. And the whole film is shot through with that. And of course, the, the pink and the blue color. First of all, if I go to a hospital that's painted pink like that, I'm walking the other way because it's not soothing and it's going to make me crazy. Um, I did notice this there, whole, the color choices made me uncomfortable in this film. Yeah. And it, it obviously it had to be by design because yeah. her office is pink. The sister's wearing like the pink sweater. Um, but then there's moments where the blue comes and you think you're safe and then there's even a shot where there's tinges of the the purple on the far right of the screen. So, I mean, a lot of thought went into it. And um, I, I did like that because they really tried to develop this whole, you know, keeping the audience and the viewer disoriented. And I, I really dug it. I, I have a question for you because another criticism, the, the two main criticisms I see of this is it's just a bunch of jump scares. And um, which I think you and I have discussed. And then the second thing is it's over long. Like it feels like an 11 minute sh- uh, short that had been padded out to to our film. I mean, did, did you feel that watching it, that it was too long or, or just dragged? I, I was concerned that it was going to be kind of like it follows, um, which uses a lot of like silence, panning, or even just still shots and then zooming in with the discordant music and the visual setup, I, uh, I bought into it. So I was very compelled, like, okay, what's the next step? Like what's, what's Nancy Drew, Nancy Drew going to do now and figure out, you know, what have you, um, could they have shaved maybe 20 minutes? Probably. But I, I think it all adds up to that wallop of an ending. So I, I didn't think it was overly long or sloggy. I didn't either. I, I would I would have um, said if you had took taken off like 15 or 20 minutes, then then that criticism of it being just a bunch of jump scares would stand out because yeah. I think the jump scares are timed in conjunction with the pacing of the story that it, it has a nice runtime and it has a nice pace. And it's not just jump scare, jump scare, jump scare. And you get to that last 15 minutes and you you really recognize what's on the line with this. So I, I don't know how it, I'm, I'm sure a great editor could come in and go, well, we can shave this off, this off, et cetera. But, uh, I, I don't know. I, I thought those two criticisms were kind of funny yeah. because to me, I find a movie very jump scary in a negative way when I feel like that's all I'm getting. Whereas there was a little bit more meat on the bone to this. And I think the jump scare sort of accentuated the story. Oh yeah. Um, where I, and- where I, which I, I just thought those two criticisms to me, they just, I'm like, man, that, that doesn't make sense to have both those criticisms from the same person. Well, I think hmm, probably that probably comes from the fact that I think we're used to the cheeseburger, the, the cheeseburger version of a horror movie, right? 89, 92 minutes, quick cut, jump scares, all of that. And I think that when people are presented yeah. something like this, that is more character driven. And, you know, honestly, like this film, a filmmaker can't win either way, right? Yeah. If you go too quick, they'll say there's no character development. And then if you do character development, they'll say it was too much and you should have made it quicker. So 
nobody wins, but um, the character development in here is crucial. And I think it's also crucial to creating the atmosphere and all of that. So I, I, those, it's weird that those two complaints would go together or come from the same person, but I can see where it's coming from, but I don't think it's founded here. Definitely. Yeah. I, I, I'm in agreement. I just, I I thought that was, and and you, you say character development to me, it's an, it's a great example of where the right character is being developed. Um, and it has impact to the story. So I, I do see some filmmakers, uh, David Gore Green being some of them, yeah. <laughs> where they're going, oh, I'm, I'm going to do some character development. It's like, you're developing the wrong character, buddy. <laughs> like, and at the wrong time. But again, that's yeah. another conversation. <laughs> that's absolutely another you're, conversation. You're, you're right. We're, we're, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, any other further thoughts? No, I I would recommend people check it out. Uh, I think it's going to stay for a while. It, I've I've been really curious with the films that have come out in 2022. I'm I'm kind of enjoying it because I think uh, people are very conscientious, especially with inflation and stuff, where oh, yeah. they're spending film or their film money. And in movies like this or even Top Gun, they they have this staying power in the theater, and the junk is uh going quite quickly but films like this are staying around and i'm happy for that because that means good word of mouth is making sure that the right films stay in the theater longer so that more people can see it yeah all hail exhibition and you know yeah that word of mouth is very very powerful right you either become a smile or you become a don't worry darling (laughs) well i i think i think this again could be another hour conversation I think the Rotten Tomato stuff is losing its momentum and it's more about folks like us talking with friends, um, even people talking on podcasts. Like it really feels like this year is more about the grassroots opinion more so than the movie critic that is driving the success of a lot of these films. And I'm super happy about that. Like for the first time, like, yeah, I feel like film enthusiasts are driving people into the theaters versus the film critic, which I'm I'm much more of a champion of the film enthusiast over the film critic. Thank God. I mean, look, the more people don't rely on the horrible aggregate website, which shall not be named, um, <laughs> I'm all for it. <laughs> so. I agree. And I, I would tell anybody, I mean, even our podcast, Not a Bomb, it's, it's not a film critic or film review. It's a film. It's a couple of film enthusiasts who bring other film enthusiasts to say, let's give this film a second chance and see what we think about it. But by no means, I mean, we, we might bring up some maybe critical elements in our discussion, but I, I never, I, 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 I think this is what's happening out there today is that it's that enthusiast and it's that person saying, hey, let me tell you about this film. I think you're going to like it because X, Y, Z. And that's yeah. what's driving people in there. I think Justin and I on Watch Skip Plus, we, we, probably have camped out a little bit over the line from film enthusiasts. We're a little bit on the film critic side, um, oh, at least for that, for that episode. But <laughs> Anyhow. Uh, well, I think the listeners can glean. It's, it's a watch from both of us. Uh, Absolutely. so yep. everybody go out and see Parker Finn's smile playing in your theaters. And how can we reach out to not a bomb Troy before we, you can find us wherever you get your podcast. Um, we also have the um, website as well, notabombpodcast.com. You can look us up on all of the socials, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We try to be consistent. 
we're not always good. I mean, we, we have full-time jobs, man. Yeah. Life takes <laughs> over, right? <laughs> it, it does. But I'll, I'll say this. We've been for the last few years, I think we've released an episode every week. We've never missed a week. So um, we're on episode 123 now. Um, wow. So, yeah. That's amazing. Just go find it. We we do respond to emails and interactions. And um, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to finishing out Spooktober with a couple of other sequels that um, I, I'm, I'm so curious. I, I'm just so excited to talk about this American werewolf in Paris. Uh, yeah. I, I can't even tell you. I remember that theatrical viewing experience. I can't wait. I can't. Yeah. Wait. I, me too. Well, no, I take that back. I remember seeing it in the theater. I remember nothing about it. And then I just watched it and I'm like, wow, this is like watching it for the first time. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. Indeed. Okay. Thank you. So thank you so much. This has been really, really great for guesting. Good discussion. It's really good. Absolutely. Love it. All right. Thank you, friends and listeners. Uh, Go to the movies. Support exhibition. Thanks. (laughs) 